How can leaders help the people they lead overcome shame? Christine Kane is our guest this week discussing how the Lord set her free from bondage to shame. It's all in episode 47 of the Church Leaders Podcast. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host, podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, Andrew Hess. Thanks for tuning in to episode 47 of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm Andrew Hess, your host, and this week, our guest is Christine Kane. Christine travels the globe preaching, teaching, and advocating for justice. She, alongside her husband Nick, founded A21, an anti-human trafficking organization that fights slavery around the globe. Christine has a heart for freeing captives, both physically and spiritually, as she works to build the church. And you want to hear why Christine says that the more healing leaders get internally, the better they're able to lead externally. And now, here's my conversation with Christine Kane. Well, Christine Kane, it is such a privilege to have you on the Church Leaders Podcast. Thanks for being with us today. It's my honor to be on this podcast. Thank you. Well, Christine, we can. anybody who knows you knows that uh, you are from Australia or grew up in Australia. What is the one thing about Australia that people that grew up in the United States need to know? Vegemite is what they eat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. <laughs> is it? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I think I don't know that any American agrees with me, not one, but that's yeah. okay. We're going to toughen you Americans up a bit. <laughs> <laughs> now, for those of us who, who have heard the term Vegemite but don't really know what it is, what, what is Vegemite? Yes. You know, it's actually a yeast extract. It's a black substance, a very thick paste that you put on toast, and you, you kind of like put a tiny, tiny uh, slither across a slice of toast dipped like with you know soaking in butter and what we do is when we have the American students come to our Bible college I don't know if I should let out this secret but um, we tell them you know that you, you eat it like you eat spoonfuls of peanut butter and so you just watch them um, like put it in their mouth and it's like this yeast extract it's black it's just pitch black and it's like a paste and um, it is so strong and there is no way and we make them eat it by the teeth spoonful and just watching their eyes almost roll in the back of their head is hilarious. So anyway, it's just kind of, um, but you know, we're happy. We love our little Vegemite down in Australia. We really do. Hmm. Now, is it, a, is it an acquired taste even for Australians or is it just like one of those yeah, things? Because I think we're brought up on it um, as kids. I have yet to meet an American that likes it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I know hundreds, if not thousands, of Americans. So it's just certainly, I think it's kind of like you, you have it at birth, and so you just grow up with this staple diet of Vegemite. But, you know, I've not met any foreigner, actually, that likes it. Wow. Well, we're excited to talk to you about a new book that you have coming out called Unashamed. And in this yes. book, uh, I just love the, the the way that you share kind of about your experiences. And just, I think the book is going to be so helpful to so many people in the book, you say something that just really hit me as I read it. Uh, you say that you can't remember a time in your life when you didn't feel some sort of shame. Can you unpack that, some of your experiences where um, where you were feeling this shame? Sure, mate. I, th- I think a lot of that, uh, it stems in so many different areas. And I, I hope that's what I show through this book, you know, that this is not just a, a one-off thing. I think a lot of people are kind of like, well, Chris, when did you deal with your shame and move on from it? I think it, it was just an ongoing thing. I obviously, there are some major triggers that caused me to to have that deep-rooted shame um, from when I was a child. You know, I was left in a hospital, unnamed and unwanted when I was born. I was um, abandoned there and, and I was sexually abused for many, many years and also grew up um, 
you know, a Greek migrant in Australia, sort of before my big fat Greek wedding when it was not cool to be Greek in Australia at all. And so I was very marginalized because of my ethnicity, um, in a culture too that, that really did not encourage women in any way to, to aspire to anything great or, you know, fulfill destiny. I think my earliest recollections always were um, my family would have loved me to get married very young, have lots of children because a woman doesn't need to do anything else. You know, my I my parents would have loved me just to play with dolls and uh, kind of um, do ballet, and I love to play soccer and read books. And I, from my earliest memories, I remember my my mum would be Christina. You know, uh, no man is going to want to marry a woman that's more intelligent than him. So you don't need to be smart. You don't need to finish school. You don't need, you know like kind of you don't need that um, to be married and have kids. So I remember from a very young age um, there were so many layers of shame there was you know don't be who you really are because nobody will really want you uh, if you are the fullness of who you are so dumb yourself down minimize yourself obviously with sexual abuse you know you you start off thinking what is being done to you is um shameful it's wrong but then eventually you when it happens on an ongoing basis and no one protects you, you begin to think there's something wrong with you and that's why this is happening to you. And so it just kind of messes with your head. And then, of course, the abandonment and the rejection. I think that the whole root of shame is feelings of unworthiness. You know, you're not worthy. And um, I think I never felt enough. You know, I never felt Greek enough. I never felt Australian enough. I never felt girly enough. I never felt smart enough or I never felt, uh, you know, just kind of domestic enough or this sense of unworthiness of just you're not enough. And I think even though I found out I was adopted at 33, I can certainly see a pattern throughout all of my life of there was always this deep-rooted sort of sense of rejection and abandonment and I'm not enough. I don't really fit in. And I never quite fit in it anywhere. I was always a square peg in a round hole. And I, I remember lying awake at night, even before I had a real full consciousness of, of Jesus, but still I, I definitely had a God consciousness. I grew up in a very religious culture, so I certainly knew God existed. But I I would just... Um, think I wasn't enough for him and I that religion tends to do that you know rules and regulations you're not enough like you're not good enough you you're not doing enough praying or enough good deeds and so I kind of always felt that I wasn't anywhere near enough and then even when I got saved in the initial few years I just felt like I was damaged goods back in my day you know I'm nearly 50 now so I've been around for half a century and back in my day you didn't talk about abuse and especially if you're a woman um, it was sort of very shame. So there was like shame was just everywhere. You, I didn't talk about who I was. Then I could kind of come into our Christian world and the leadership space and I've always been, you know, by and large the only woman in all the realms of leadership and, and you know, from everything that I've done from church-based leadership to community leadership, it was always me and the guys and it was kind of like, whoa, Christine, you know, the, you know, whether it was showing my strengths or utilizing my leadership gifts, there was always this sense of, oh, should a woman really be doing this? Is this really right? Like that, that angst on the inside, unworthiness. And I think even when I messed up um, before I was a Christian, uh, you know, I didn't know the difference between guilt and shame. I call it in the book the difference between my who and my do. Um, I couldn't separate it. I couldn't separate what I did from who I was. And so if I did something wrong, I thought who I was was something wrong. And so a lot of that, I think uh, we carry the threads of that with us a lot. And I think at different stages of our life and our journey, the Lord highlights different things that we could bring them out of hiding into his light so he can bring healing and wholeness and 
you know, I'm very quick to say that the book is not a book about abuse and it's not a book about rescuing the victims of human trafficking, although, of course, I have stories in it from the victims of trafficking that we rescued through the A21 campaign that have had to overcome lots of obstacles of shame. But it's also directed to, you know, a corporate executive and through Propel Women and my work, I've come across the whole um, ministry of Propel is to help women to internalize a leadership identity and to develop and strengthen their leadership identity. And it is astounding to me how many successful, talented, gifted women, not only broken and sort of abused and violated women, um, carry the scars of shame with them. And yet Jesus came to shame our shame. He bore our shame on the cross. And I want people to really be set free from the bondage of shame. I think so many people in our audience will will resonate with that. And and a lot of times I think we just get used to shame. We we don't even realize it's something that we're carrying around. Tell us a story about how you began to leave your shame behind and see this is something that I can just be free of. Yeah, I think and it's an ongoing journey. I need to make that clear. You know, it's not like there was a sudden... Um, I think when I first, it comes first and foremost, you have got to get a revelation of the unconditional love and grace of God because shame is very fear-driven. You know, the first recorded conversation in Scripture between man and God, God's walking through the garden and he says, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, you know, I was naked, ashamed, and so I hid. I mean, there it is, right there. First, first sentence, fear, shame, hiding, it's there. And I think we spend most of our lives um, in fear, shame-filled and hiding, and God is, you know, metaphorically speaking, walking through the garden, calling us out, saying, where are you? Why are you hiding? And um, so I think in every different season of life, there are different ways. I think in my early 20s, um, when I, I went to a seminar once and I really first heard a talk about abuse and just had a, a dramatic realization, oh my gosh, that's what happened to me. That's the language for it. That's the word for it. Um, that was the first big thing of going, okay, Jesus, I'm going to let you into those broken places because I would react in certain ways and I didn't know why I was reacting. And I would lead in certain ways and I didn't know why I was driving people so hard. And, um, you know, what was I trying to prove to who? But a lot of that came out of my broken places and I was uh, looking for my significance and my security and my affirmation um, through performance and through driving people. And I think, you know, ultimately wounded people wound people and hurting people hurt people. So if I didn't deal, and I think, you know, I mean, we're talking in the context of the leadership podcast, I think it's very important that leaders deal with the shame that's in our own life. And we've often learned to hide it better than anyone else because we've got jargon and language around it and position and power to sort of hide it. But we hurt people when we walk around with our own shame wounds because somehow we end up driving people to try to prove something to ourselves. And um, I knew that I was not going to fulfill the purpose of God or fulfill my leadership potential if I didn't start dealing with some of those broken places. And I think that first talk on abuse was a trigger and a catalyst. And then, you know, true to form, I sort of started to relentlessly go after that. Then when I met my husband, obviously, you know, who at the time was we got engaged, and I knew then the Lord took a lid, another layer off and he was going to deal with something else that I hadn't needed to deal with then because I wasn't married. I wasn't in that kind of intimate relationship. And then when I was to become a mother, you know, both, my first and second child, um, I watched the Lord go deep again. And areas where if you had have asked me, you know, are you carrying shame? I would have said no, but I didn't know until I you know, got pregnant and then was like, whoa, and then stuff would arise. I remember when we started the A21 campaign and we were going to rescue the victims of human trafficking. 
it was like I went through a whole other layer of the Lord dealing with things in my heart that I thought were dealt with, but I didn't realize there was still depths he wanted to go to uh, so that I could lead a global organization on anti-trafficking and that, you know, dealing with the victims of human trafficking, it wasn't going to open a wound in me that had not been properly healed. So God wanted, God is good and God does good. And so what I try to really put through this book, and I called it Unashamed, and there's a reason why I put my, I've never put my face on the cover of a book, but I wanted to sort of like, come on, we're coming out of hiding here. I'm unashamed, and I want you all to know that here I am running a global anti-trafficking organization, speak by the grace of God all around the world, across every screen of the church, in every leadership platform, and, you know, in churches, and speak to women, run Propel Women for women who lead, and I want you all to know that I'm still uncovering layer upon layer and allowing the Lord to do a healing work. So if I can do it, then you can do it too. Because the more out of hiding we come, the more we deal with our shame issues, the more effectively we're going to be able to lead and lead from a place of wholeness that will bring healing to others and really just, I think, unclog a lot of our leadership pipelines and just help launch people into their God-given purpose and destiny. And I found at every stage of my life, God deals with it. A, long, a lot of times in leadership, you know, we talk about five principles of this, four principles of this, and how, you know, how are we going to drive profits? How are we going to drive growth? How are we going to maximize productivity? But I think at the end of the day, everything comes down to the condition of our own heart, soul, and mind. And um, whether we've allowed the Holy Spirit of God to go and bring internal healing and to deal with the shame and the broken places in our life. And um, we tend to lead inside out. Um, because eventually, if there's a disparity between your external world and your internal world, your world is going to collapse. You are only ever going to lead to the capacity that your internal world is strong and um, you have a rock-solid foundation of who you are in Christ, what you're called to do, and that your identity does not come from what has happened to you, what you've done, right or wrong, or how you're performing right now, but on who you are in Christ. And I think for those of us that have come from a broken past, often the enemy has come at us because he knows that we're going to have a significant impact and help to lead others to fulfill their destiny as well. And so the enemy really comes at us hard and tries to undermine our identity and tries to shame us into hiding in many places. And so I think the more healing we get internally, the better leaders we are externally and our, our organizations can rise to, to, you know, to greater heights and we can end up helping a whole lot more people. And I think I had to learn to make what Jesus did for me bigger than what anybody had ever done to me. And that's easier said than done. I mean, that was definitely a process uh, to make the word of God the priority and basically the, you know, the, the rock solid foundation on which I built my life. And that was replacing the lies of the enemy because the enemy is a liar, but he's very loud. And, um, you know, he's just screaming lies into my mind. And I had to replace those lies with the truth of the word of God. And I think in this book, um, I'm very honest. You know, I talk about some of my leadership failures when I didn't lead well uh, because I was broken and so I was driving some of my staff and I wasn't leading them. And um, I, I just decided very openly to tell stories in this book that I've never told before because I want to help every person, not just broken people who know they're broken or in a pit of despair. This is not just a book, you know, for those who have been abused or been trafficked. This is, I think, a book for every person. I think people are going to locate themselves, even the, even the very successful people um, are just that have maybe never been abused or to their knowledge kind of damaged in any way. I think it's still going to uncover a layer that says, wow, in that realm I've been hiding. I need some healing so that I can have wholeness so that I can better and more effectively lead people. Mm. 
And, you know, I think a lot of the times we, we think about shame and we think about our own shame, but pastors and ministry leaders are, are often in a position where people are coming to them and looking for help. So what's the role of, of church leaders in helping people work through their shame? Yeah, I think um, we can be honest in the way that we do it as long as we're committed to making sure we're doing it in our own lives as well. Because I think sometimes when you, if you ever as a, get into the thinking that I'm a, a professional um, and this doesn't apply to me, then you're in trouble. And um, we have a very real enemy that would love to take us out. I think we have to deal with it. Jesus dealt with shame. The Father in the garden dealt with shame. Jesus shamed our shame on the cross. So it's it's a big deal. It's in the scripture. Um, and it's obviously a deal or it wouldn't be talked about as much as it is, and it is something that takes us out, that whole feeling of worthiness. And I think the enemy always wants to attack our worth and our value. And so I think as Christian leaders, so many of the things, when we're leading people, whether it's the people in our churches, in our organizations, in our ministries, whatever it might be, when people are acting out or there's patterns of destructive behavior or negative behavior, very often a lot of that stuff can be rooted in shame, that people have a deep sense of unworthiness in themselves and so they either act out, people try to uh, you know, medicate it, deny it, minimize it, deflect it or um, act out in certain ways whether it's promiscuity or anger or just however it might be or this sense of um, you know, needing to, to lord it over everyone or get all the credit or there could be pride or arrogance. I mean, you know, the symptoms of it manifest differently but the root of it basically is that you don't, do not feel worthy. Um, that you do not understand that in Christ you are enough. And through Christ in you, you're actually he is more than enough. And so it always comes down to identity. And I think anywhere there's brokenness, you don't there's one of two things. You either don't know who you are in Christ or you've not yet learned to receive the unconditional love and grace of God. And I think shame keeps us hiding so we don't understand either of those things. We either hide from God rather than run to him or we try to lock him out of the very places that he's going to bring healing and wholeness into our lives. And so we never fully step into who we're created to be. So both of those, the origins of those, though, are shame. Yeah, and can you speak to the woman who, who might be listening to this, and she has felt, uh, maybe in her particular church, that um, her leadership gifts or her teaching gifts you know, aren't something that, that she should be using, or, or just feeling like yeah. you know, that that's a source of shame for her, um, as it, and it shouldn't sure. be. Can you speak to kind of, of that specific situation? Yeah, that, that is a fantastic question because it's a real issue. You know, I come from a particular church culture where that's not a deal, as in once I got saved, I'm definitely in my Christian tradition of origin, um, a woman could do nothing. And so I certainly understand what it's like where, where a woman's gifts and leadership gifts in particular are not affirmed or encouraged. Um, and that's really why I started Propel Women, um, for women who lead and to create pipelines and safe places where we can help develop a leadership pipeline to help women maximize the leadership gifts that they have. But, you know, there's a, there's a couple of ways to go about that. I think if, if we know that we are called and that the Lord has given us gifts, you have to either um, make a decision that you're going to be planted in a place that's going to affirm those gifts on your life and develop them. If you feel that you're called to a place where women are not in any way recognized or capacity in leadership, you have to reconcile whether you're going to stay there or not. If you stay there, well, then you're there to serve the vision of that house. I'm a very big believer that um, you know, you're not going to rise above the vision or the ethos or the philosophy of the leader. So you have to either be in alignment with that place 
or you need to go and find somewhere where you're going to be in alignment. And none of us are there to, to cause trouble for anyone. So you need to be in an environment if you believe that God has gifted you and that you really want to um, exercise those gifts, then you've got to be in a position where that can flourish and that can be nurtured on the inside of you. Or if you're in a great place where maybe right now that's not recognized, but you can have great, honest conversations moving forward about that. Um, I suggest go to propelwomen.org. There's a ton of resources that you and your pastoral team, eldership team, you could talk through a whole lot of stuff and just maybe come up with a a process. Um, I always say to people, look, if you're at A, which means a woman could do nothing on a scale from A to Z, you know, there's no place for a woman. Z, a woman can exercise her gifts fully. Um, then if you're at A, let's just talk about maybe going from A to B or A to C. You know, we have to jump from A to Z. Um, it would just be just the next step. And I think um, most women, I don't think are looking when it comes to church life, like I want to be the boss. I think they just want to be able to effectively use their gifts in submission, under authority, um, but they just want their gifts to flourish because that's the biblical mandate. God gives us all gifts and then puts us in place uh, to serve the body with those gifts. So I think it's it's more about maximizing the gifts that God has created in us. So, you know, it's to our Father's glory that we bear much fruit and we're all responsible for bearing fruit, males and females. And so I think it becomes crucial that we make sure that everyone is maximizing their leadership potential. And, um, you know, to be made to feel ashamed, I know what it's felt like. I, I lived most of my life. I mean, I change, I tell a story in the book. I changed the grades. My grades in Australia, they sort of rated from one to five. Grade one is the, it's like an A in America. I think that it's, you know, grade one is the top grade. Grade five is the bottom. It'd be, you know, like um, an a E, an E would be a five and an A would be a one. So I used to say get straight ones um, academically on my school report cards while going home. I would change my straight ones, like physically with a pen. If it was written in blue, I'd use a blue borrow. If it was black, I'd use a black pen. I would change it, the number ones, to numbers fours or fives because I did not want to walk into my home and have my family sort of just start all over again. Why did you get straight ones? No one's ever going to want to marry you. No one's ever going to want to, you know, like it's wow. like uh, it was a bad thing to get good grades. Well, to be honest, I would say, and there's enough women I've talked to in the church world that they have to dumb themselves down like that a lot in Christian settings, which I think is so the antithesis of what the Lord would have. If a man needs a woman to dumb herself down so that he can feel secure, then he has got major shame issues of his own. I'm sorry, but he's got, yeah, my husband has never required me to become less for him to feel more. He knows exactly who he is in Christ and flourishes, and he runs all of our global operations. We have offices in 12 nations. Um, He runs all of our global operations, all of our global team, um, for A21 and has never, ever tried to minimize me, but has, you know, caused me to flourish. But that's because he's secure in who he is in Christ. And I think that makes us flourish great. I think there's just something fundamentally wrong when any person, male or female, has to make someone else feel small to make themselves feel big. Then they really don't have a revelation of who they are in Christ. So good. And I think another area, like as I look into the church and, and look for like different things that people might feel shame about that we can help them with, um, is, is women who, or men who are single or who are like, who haven't found that person yet. And I think for that sure. we see a lot of couples waiting longer to get married. Um, can you speak to those, those singles who even just their state of being single, um, when a lot of their friends are getting married, uh, just feel shame about sure. that. 
Yeah, you're, you're nailing everything. I mean, I've got a whole chapter in the book about one of my single friends who's, who's absolutely brilliant, um, a brilliant, brilliant woman, but that whole thing of that shame, you know, um, coming from a Greek culture, I certainly understand that feeling. I didn't marry till 30, so it, it, for, for then my parents thought, I mean, nowadays that's just normal, but back in my day in the 1970s, you know, that was like, oh my gosh, you know, what is wrong with you? But here's my deal, and I'm a big stickler for this, in a big way. And at Propel Women, I am absolutely adamant and I make sure on all of our conversation series and our curriculums and all of our live events, I've always got single women because the truth is, especially in America, um, you know, more than, well, it's almost on par, if not, I think the latest stats were 53% of all women were single and 47% of all women will never bear their own biological child. So let's talk about reality. I mean, who are we ministering to? And my bottom line is, I think for too long in the Christian church, we have somehow equated almost borderline salvation with being married um, because our completion, Philippians 1.6, Paul says, I'm convinced of this very thing, um, that he, being Jesus, not your spouse, Jesus, who begun this work in you, will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So my completion is not in Nick. Nick is my husband. He's not my God. My completion is in Christ. Therefore, you are as entirely whole, single, as you are married. Now, the deal is, I think somehow we've equated that you are, some, I don't know, more Christian, more holy, more saved, more complete if you're married. I don't even think that's biblical. My completion is in Christ, not in my husband. And so the fact is, though, most of us will get married, I guess, you know, that, that will be the case. And um, But it makes, there's nothing less. I mean, Jesus never got married. Why do we not hear sermon after sermon on the fact that Jesus was single and Jesus fulfilled his purpose and his destiny and he completed the will of the Father and did everything that he was on assignment to do that he never married. And, um, you know, to my knowledge, I don't think there's going to be marriage in heaven. There's nothing I read in Scripture that says that it is. So I think we have to be very careful that we don't build an idol to that um, because and understand our completion is in Christ. Now, do we have desires? And a lot of my single friends, I have several single friends that don't think they'll ever get married, um, and I have lots of other single friends that would love to get married, and they're not. And so my deal is, though, you still have to find your completion in Christ. And if, when you're married, you relax from pursuing Christ because you think you have found the answer because you have a partner, then there's something fundamentally wrong there as well because we should be as earnestly, passionately pursuing Christ and his purpose as we were single because Christ is the goal. Uh, you know, Nick and I always say that we met each other while we were on track and we had one goal, Jesus and we were passionately pursuing Jesus. We came together, and we're still doing what we were always doing, passionately pursuing Jesus. When you come together, if you stop and you begin to look at each other rather than fix your eyes on Christ, then I think that's when each other becomes the goal rather than Jesus, and that's a very big danger. So I'm all for single people. I'm always giving them a shout-out, and I'm always making sure in everything that we do that we ensure people understand their completion is in Christ, not in another partner. Mm, that is so good. Christina, so much wisdom. I feel like we could... Uh, I can't believe our time has, has come up, but thank you so much for taking time to share with us. Really excited about this book uh, coming out soon, uh, Unashamed, and I think it's going to help a lot of people. So thank you so much for being with us today. Great. Thank you so much. You've been so kind. Thank you for having me on. Thanks to Christine Kane for joining us this week as our special guest on the Churchers podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, there's nothing better you can do for us that to take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes and consider sending this episode to somebody that you know that might benefit from listening to it as well. 
Also, always you can make sure to download the show notes for this episode at churchleaders.com forward slash podcast. We put resources mentioned in the show and links to some of our guest top content on churchleaders.com and around the web. And as always, if you have ideas on how we can improve the show or guests you'd like to hear us talk to, uh, you can email me directly at podcast at churchleaders.com. Those emails come right to me, and I always enjoy hearing from you, our listeners. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.